now, if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Malachi chapter 3. Malachi 3. And the end is in sight for Malachi. Please be praying uh, for me as um, I do believe after Malachi, we are going to start an expository series through the book of Romans. So that, that'll be um, lots, of, lots of prayer needed because there's so much there for us to, to, to dig into. But there's a lot here. That's the scripture, just boundless in so many ways. And we have been digging in uh, through Malachi. and We continue on today. Uh, our text this morning is chapter 3, verses 13 through 15. Just a, a few passages, but it's packed once again um, with teaching for us and insight in God's word. So Malachi chapter 3, uh, beginning in verse 13. And this is the, the final dispute. There have been several disputes between God and his people. Uh, here, God and his rebellious people, I should say, of Israel. And what God does is he makes an accusation about what the people are doing and what's going wrong. And what do they do? They, they kind of push back, don't they? They, they answer back. They, they question him. That's, that's the response. So God goes ahead and he gives them the proof. He shows them the evidence and he confronts them with the undeniable truth. And Lord willing, they turn back to him and repent. And that's the hope that they would repent and grow in him. So Malachi chapter 3, beginning in verse 13, hear the word of the Lord. Your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. But you say... How have we spoken against you? You have said it is vain to serve God. What is the profit of keeping his charge or of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the arrogant blessed evildoers not only prosper, but they put to the test. But I'm sorry, they put God to the test and they escape. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you and praise you for your precious word. As we come before it, Lord, we do so with reverence. And Lord, we do so with great care. And I pray that you would be with me, that you would be with all of us, Lord God, as we sit at the feet of our master and teacher, King Jesus Christ. So Lord, please bless this sermon to your glory and for our good. Bring conviction where we need to be convicted. Encouragement, Lord, where we need encouragement. Strengthen us, Lord God. Challenge us to live more and more for you and less and less for ourselves. May you increase even as we decrease. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, praise God. I forgot my water on the back. Thanks, Luke. <laughs> um, again, they are confronted with their sins. God right away in this last of the disputes uh, with his people. Thanks, Luke. Um, confronts the people right away. And he says, your words against me are hard. They're hard words against me. They're challenging words. You're accusing me of things. And again, when they're confronted, what do they do? They act like they're surprised almost. And, and you could be genuinely surprised in a couple of ways, at least in a couple of different ways. Sometimes when you're surprised, you're actually, you, you're, you're really shocked and you're kind of humbled when you find out you've been doing something you shouldn't be doing and you're confronted with it, it might be surprising to you, like, wow, am I really doing that? I'm, I'm really sorry about that. I didn't mean to offend you, and, and how can I change that? So that's one way to be surprised. There's another way as well. You could be surprised and react with contempt and like a challenging spirit as well, you know, and that's kind of what's going on here. This is what these people are doing. God challenges them, and they respond like, what? 
How are our words hard against you? What, like, what are you talking about almost? And we want to ask ourselves the questions, how can that be? And I'm, I'm wondering this as I'm going through Malachi and thinking about this, the response of these people before the Lord. They should know better. Are they doing it just like openly and spitefully in that way? Or are they deluded in some way? It's a combination, man. You know, Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the heart is more deceitful than all else and desperately wicked. Who can understand it? And there is self-deception. We do deceive ourselves. So when you set the standard, when you establish the, the parameters of what it means to be faithful, what it means to be obedient, what it means to honor God, instead of actually looking to the, the actual standard of God's word, what he expects, what he requires, this is what you get oftentimes. In some twisted way, you think that you're doing okay, when in reality, you're not at all. And then you're surprised when you're called on it. And this, I, I've tried to think of a couple examples in real life where this might be the case. One might be in worship. You know, people, they, they, they are just kind of come to church just like out of rote, out of mere duty, mere duty. Uh, you're just kind of here. It's almost a chore. You are here physically, but mentally and spiritually, you're miles and miles away. You're, you're, you're far away. You're not, you're not really here. And, and then somebody might say something to you or, or you know, kind of come up and challenge you a little bit on, on that because they notice that you're just, you're here, but you're not really here. You're here in body only, right? And they respond to that and, and, and might ask you a question. And that, and that person will respond and say, like, what do you mean? I'm, I'm here every week, aren't I? I'm here more than you are. So what do you tell? Do you know what I mean? They kind of act surprised and kind of push back on you. That seems to, like, that seems to be what's going on here with these people. They're pushing back on God. Or, or another example might be when there's a wrong treatment of another person in your life. You know, you could be treating somebody really badly and kind of know that you are, but not really realize it. You know what I mean? Like sometimes with a spouse, you're just condescending most of the time, disparaging, inconsiderate, disrespectful. And then somebody challenges you and says, you know, how, how, can, you, how can you treat her this way? Do you talk to your wife like that all the time? And then you say, what, what way? In what way do I talk to my wife? What, what are you talking about? Right? You're almost surprised and, and push back. And that, that's kind of what's going on here. The Lord says to them, your words are hard against me. And they're saying, wait, how, how have we spoken against you? And of course, the Lord brings several ways how they are doing this. Three very specific ways. And this is going to be our lesson this morning. And I pray that we learn from this. And the first way is this. He says, your words, um, your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. You say, how have we spoken against you? Then verse 14, you have said, it is vain to serve God. It is vain to serve God. And that's the first way, vain to serve God. And that word means to be useless. People get to the point in their minds and their hearts, they might not say it outwardly and in, 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 in a harsh, vindictive way, shaking their fist kind of way at God. But basically you're saying it's not worth it. What's, what's, this is kind of useless. Why am I even doing this? Why are we even coming to church? Why are we trying to live the Christian life? Why are we trying to serve God? What good is it doing? Look at everybody else, as he says in verse 15. And aren't the arrogant blessed? Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. They're not even having to answer to God. So why am I doing this? Right? When it's, it's hard enough to, to, to serve God. And that's the attitude of the people in Malachi's time. And you could see that. We've seen it already. We've seen it 
in their attitude towards worship, how they are coming to worship. They're bringing lame sacrifices. They're really not into serving the Lord in that way. They're not serving their marriage as well. They're marrying foreign women who aren't of Israel. They're, they're divorcing their wives. They're not bringing their offering to the Lord as they ought to be doing. They're not giving. So you already see it with them. Now, granted, it is hard to serve, isn't it? If you're a Christian and you're seeking to live for the Lord, it is tough to serve at times. It's difficult being a Christian. It's difficult to be faithful, right? Just think of all the trials that we go through as Christians, the tests that the Lord allows us to go through, the the temptations that we face every single day, the tribulations that come upon us even as we're faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ. So it is hard, man. It is tough at times to serve the Lord. When you are unfairly treated as the world, as, as, the, as you're unfairly treating, treated for being faithful to the Lord, that's tough. When you're serving him faithfully, it might cost you. It might cost you relationships. That's hard, isn't it, man? If you're serving the Lord and you're being faithful to Jesus Christ and you're being faithful to your faith that you profess, it's going to cost you oftentimes, even within our own families, Different relationships on different levels. Jesus said that it would in Matthew 10. You know that. It might cost you in your employment. Different different areas of our lives. It is tough to serve faithfully as Christians. It's difficult when you see people that have no regard at all for God. No regard for his ways. And they're just prospering, man. They're just making it. They're just, you know, they're, they're kind of getting away with it. And they have everything. And that's kind of what they're saying here. They're, they're not, you know. If your faith isn't authentic, or if your faith isn't strong, then you're going to end up here, man. You're going to say, man, it's vain. You might not say it out loud, but in your heart, in your mind, man, is it worth it? Is it worth even following the Lord in this way? Is it vain to serve him? And the answer for us is no, no. Listen, being willing to serve him in the midst of these difficulties, in the midst of the trials, when it doesn't seem fair and when it isn't fair, is a sign of true faith and trusting in him. It's easy to serve. It would be great if everything was great all the time. No problem. The Christian life is filled with difficulties, especially when it comes to serving him and being faithful to him. But it's not vain. And it's not vain in several ways. And this is where the encouragement comes in for Christians today. It's not vain for you to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Number one, it's not vain because you are serving the true and living God, the only God, the maker, the giver of life, the one who saved you from the penalty of sin, the one who saved you from sin, Satan, death, and hell. So it's not vain to serve the God who made us and the God who loves you in Jesus Christ. It's never vain to serve him. There's nothing that we can do that can separate us from his love. And there's nothing so hard that we should not be willing to do in order to serve him because of his love for us. Number two, it's not vain because, man, when we serve, we're instruments in the hand of the Lord. You know, he's using us to carry out his purpose and his plan in this world. So when we're instruments in his hands, when you are willing to deny yourself, when you count the cost of what it means to be a follower of Christ, when you carry your cross for the cause of Christ, then you are serving him faithfully. And it's not vain. It's not in vain. You're being used in a mighty way. It might not even seem like that, but you're being used in a way to advance his kingdom. It's not vain 
to serve the Lord Jesus Christ because when you do that, you show a lost world through your faithfulness that they need Jesus Christ, that you have something that they absolutely need. Actually, that's someone that they need, and that's Christ. So faithful service, even though they won't acknowledge it, even though they might hate you for it, you're still showing them that light of Christ, and ultimately, that is who they need. Right? It's not vain to serve him. Because we need to learn about delayed gratification. We kind of live in a world where we want it, we want it now, we want everything now. It's not like that for Christ. We have to patiently endure. We have to patiently be faithful. We patiently serve. And it might take this entire life. We might not even realize our rewards in this life. Do you realize that? Right? It might not be at the end of the day, I've, I've gone through so much. Like even like Job, he went through so much. But at least in the end, he got it all back and even more. That might not even happen for us. We might have to endure, endure, endure until he calls us home. But there is great reward for us as he calls us home. Remember Paul in Second Timothy chapter 4. And I'll just read this for you. You don't have to turn with me. Second Timothy chapter 4 verses um, 7 and 8. Paul says this, I have fought, as he comes to the end of his life, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Amen. It's not vain. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only me, but also to all those who have loved his appearing. Do you love his appearing? Do you love it? It's not vain to serve him. These people, it's vain to serve him. It's not worth it. It's too much. Can you imagine if, 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 if the Apostle Paul said that, right? This is, it's way too much for me, man. Uh, everything that I'm going through, is it even worth it? It's, I do want you to turn with me now to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians 11. Paul did not think it was vain to serve his God and to endure so much on his behalf. And that's a good thing, isn't it? And this is a model for us. When you start feeling like, man, I, I, I want to give up. Why can't I just be like this? I just kind of want, it's just too hard. It's just too difficult. It's just too vain. I don't see a return on this for me. Aren't you glad the Apostle Paul wasn't like that? Aren't you glad he didn't say that? So 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 11 and beginning in verse 23, you know, he's making these claims. Uh, suffering as an apostle, he's just making a point. To, to the church there. He's not being arrogant. He's not being haughty. He's not bragging about himself. And he makes that clear. And he says this. Um, it's really the second half of the verse. He's, well, he does say, I'm talking like a madman. For far great labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day and was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, in danger from robbers, in danger from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers and toil and hardships through, through many a sleepless nights in hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. And apart from all these other things, 
there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for the churches. Who is weak? Do you see that? You see that endorsed? Is it vain? For Paul could have just said, look, it's just vain. This is, it's, it's not even worth following anymore. But he wasn't going to go there because he's faithful in following the Lord. No, it is not vain to follow him. So, so their claim saying that it is vain to follow him doesn't hold for us as Christians, does it? Never get to that place. Never get to that place where you say, well, maybe it's just too much. Maybe, maybe it's just not worth it. Maybe I just can't do this anymore. You continue to serve, continue to be used, continue to be spent until he calls you home. Amen? Praise God. That's the encouragement from there. Second complaint that they had is this. Um, they said, verse 14, you've said it's vain to serve God. And then they go on. What is the profit of our keeping his charge or of, of keeping his charge? I do want to stop right there. That's the second point. That there's no profit in keeping his charge. Now, what's that mean? That there's really no profit in trying to obey him or keeping his laws or doing what God tells us to do um, and, and you know, keeping his commands, keeping his statutes, walking as we ought to as Christians. They're saying kind of, what's the good of, of keeping his law? Especially when nobody else seems to be doing it. And those people that aren't doing it seem to be prospering. So you can see that looking beyond outward, envying others, and then bringing that back on God and saying, hey man, why should we even keep your law? Why should we even try to live in a, in a faithful way? Other people aren't doing it, and they're getting away with it. Why shouldn't we do that? Now, of course, if you're a Christian this morning, you know how tough it is to walk the straight and narrow, don't you? You know how tough it is as we are being sanctified. You know how difficult it is to keep his law, to keep his word. No matter how desperately we want to, no matter how desperately we desire that, don't you, don't you, don't you desire, don't you want to keep his law? Don't you want to please him? And yet we fall, like Aaron would pray, we fall so short every single day. Like, you know, I, we, we, I say this often, I want to be the husband he wants me to be, faithful and true. How hard is that to be, to, to live to that standard? We want to be content in the Lord. We don't want to covet, don't we? We want to be happy and thankful for what we have. How hard, how difficult is it not to want more and have what that other person has? So I might be a little, right? It's, it's tough. And sometimes you think it's just easier, just easier to give in to sin. Yeah. Yeah, just viciously lay into that person who annoys you, who annoys you so badly. Put up with them in love, love them, love covers them. No, man, you bug me and here's why. And I'm going to lay in and let you have it. And that's going to make me feel good. It's a catharsis, right? That's right. I'm going to let everybody know how, I, how awful of a person you are and what, and what I think about you. Sometimes that sin, you just want to, we're not going to admit it. And hopefully it doesn't last long in our hearts and minds. But sometimes, wouldn't it be nice? Sometimes, yeah, you, 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 you let your mind go there. You let your mind, you want to let your mind go to that place where it ought not go because where that mind goes, the heart is going to follow. And we see that. So many people professing Christians and in our day and age, in our context, especially with progressive Christians, I don't know if that's, most of you probably know what I'm talking about when we talk about the progressive Christians. Those who are like deconstructing their faith. Many popular names. We've talked about them before. I'm not going to necessarily name a lot of names today. We'll talk about one person. But they deconstruct their faith. This is what they're doing here. They're just saying, it's not worth keeping your law. I'm just going to do what I want to do. I might 
put a coating of a veneer of Christianity over it and say, you know, God still loves me and this is how I think about God and he's going to be okay with me, but I'm basically going to do what I want and I'm not going to keep your commandments and I'm not going to keep your laws because that's not authentically who I am. That's not my authentic self. So, so many are deconstructing the once restrictive faith. So now they're freer, more liberated. It's a different kind of faith, but just as authentic. Again, there's countless examples. We've talked about some of these in the past. But they're thinking this idea that it's just burdensome to keep the law. Why, Why should we do that? Why should we keep his charge? Why should we do that? If it just makes me miserable. If I can't be who I am. If God can't accept, he does love me. He made me this way. And we're seeing that more and more in Christianity, right? We're deconstructing and then we're, re- we're constructing a God after our own image who's okay with everything that we do, every sin that we indulge in. One example, and I'm just going to say, um, just one, one more example. How many of you have heard of Glenn Ann Doyle? Is that a name that rings a bell with anybody in this room? Nobody. Not one person. <laughs> That's not a bad thing then. <laughs> she is... Um, it was known as the, the, the Christian mommy blogger back in like 2014, 2015, and kind of was out there in, in, the, in, the, in the popular evangelical Christianity. She wrote the book Untamed. Does that ring a bell with anybody? Okay, this is a terrible example. Or it's a good example for this group. But this is a progressive Christian who kind of started in Christianity, but deconstructs her faith and says, these laws of God, these commands of God, no, 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 no. Here's who I really am. So she's married with four kids, ends up leaving her husband, marries another woman, Amy Wambach, the soccer player, USA. Nobody? Okay, I'll fall. <laughs> In her book, and I, I want you to hear this. In her book, Untamed, she writes this. Women should think of Eve's appetite. Women should not think of Eve's appetite as wrong. Maybe Eve was never meant to be our warning. Maybe she was meant to be our model. Own your wanting. Eat the apple. And God is okay with that because I'm not going to keep your commands and I'm not going to keep your laws. But you see, there's great profit for us. And here's the encouragement. There's profit for us in keeping his commands, in keeping his charge. Of course, not for salvation, never for salvation. But as Christians, the law becomes our delight. We love it. And and, and as we're being sanctified, we want to live for him. And that's what it looks like. And so when we do walk in a manner worthy of our calling, when we are serious about our obedience it reflects his righteousness and it honors him. That's one thing that it does. We are reflecting his righteousness and it honors him. Amen? Praise God. That's why we do it. It shows that you do love him. What did Jesus say in John 14, 21? If you love me, keep my commandments. He who loves me keeps my commandments. If you keep my commandments, I will love you. I will disclose myself to you. Right? We want to serve him. That's how, we, that's how we honor him in that way. There's profit in that. It shows that you do. obedience to God is more important to you than satisfying your sin. Now, there's a real struggle, and sometimes, oftentimes, we do satisfy our sin, but Lord willing, we repent, turn back to him. But you know in your heart of hearts that you want to live for him. You don't want to give in to your sin. You want to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. Amen, right? That's the struggle that we have. Obedience 
to God is more important than satisfying your sinful desires. There's profit in that. We're honoring him. 1 John 5, verse 3 says this, for this, is love, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Now listen, to live as Christ, to walk in obedience is tough stuff. You know that. It's difficult. It's hard. We're always battling against the flesh. Think of Romans 7 and Paul in that way. It is tough. It is a battle. But it's not burdensome, man. If it's burdensome for you, then you're in trouble. Then you are where these people are in Malachi. Yes, it's going to be difficult. Yes, it's going to be hard. Yes, it's going to be a struggle. But it's not a burden. If you're saying, man, I wish I didn't have to keep these commands. I wish I could do what I want. I just want that and I'm just going to take it for myself. I wish I could do that. Well, then you're in trouble. You're where these people, you are where these people in Malachi are. Now, if you have a desire, but you say, no, no, I'm not going to. If your desire is, is, to, is to obey him, even when you don't, and then you repent, that's part of this, our sanctification process. Right? But if it's the other way, then there's an issue. And that's where the people in Malachi were, and that's where we do not want to be. Do you understand? You see this? These are signs of being far away from the Lord. Oh, it's just weirdness and following him. Oh, poor me. It's just hard to do this. I don't want to keep this commandment. So maybe we'll change it up here. Is God really that hard? Does God really expect perfection? Does he really expect obedience in this area? Look what everybody else is doing. Why can't we just tamp it down just a little bit? That's a big temptation, guys. And that's what's happening in our world today and even in the church today. That's why we have to hold the line. That's why we need to be strong. That's why we need to understand, yes, he does require service. He does require self-sacrifice. We do need to count the cost of what it means to follow Christ, man. You need to take up that cross every day and be willing to die to yourself in order to live for him. You need to be willing to say no to the flesh. No, I'm not going to. Lord, please keep me from that temptation. Help me to, to live in a way that's honorable before you. And when I do fall, I'm going to quickly repent, sincerely repent, and come back to you because that honors you, because you love me, because you've saved me. Amen? Instead of the other side of what so many people are doing today, we cannot do that. We must be faithful, and we need to be strong in our faith, right? Yes, praise God. The last way, the third way, he says that they say this. You have said it. It is vain to serve our God. What's the profit of keeping his charge or of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? That's the last point. This is the third one. There's no profit walking around mourning all the time. Right? There's no profit walking around with these long faces, always being sorrowful, always being so stern, always being so serious. You Christians are always like, mourning and walking around with no that we look at the rest of the world man they're enjoying life why can't you enjoy life too like they do right they have they have all their diversions all their distractions all their vacations all their entertainments what's wrong with that i'm going to date myself here a little bit if you're a little bit older you're going to know this song or this part of the song remember the billy Joel song only the good die young there's a line in there that says i'd rather what laugh with the sinners Oh, you guys are good. <laughs> the sinners are much more fun. 
Right? And that captures this right here. You guys are walking around all the time. God is just this cosmic killjoy. You're no fun anymore, man. You used to be so fun. Remember what we used to do and how we used to you know, enjoy each other, how we partied in that? What are you doing now? Now you're all serious. Now you're all glum. What's wrong with you? Right? What profit is it in mourning when everybody else is out there enjoying it, doing what they want to do, and seemingly getting away with it? Why should I mourn in that way? You know, the evangelical church is buying into this too. And I'm, I don't mean to just pick on, and, but I'm telling you, man, it is scary out there. And it's getting scary in here too. Because just since the time I've been a pastor in the last 25 years or so, there's been such a change even within the church. And we've gotten caught up in making everything so fun and making everything so enjoyable and trying to tempt people to come in and, and get people to, to do this, our little gimmicks that we use. Man, I was a marketing major in college, and I'm telling you guys, it is, that's, all, that's what the church is doing. They're, 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 there's gimmicks to get you in. They do demographic studies because we want this kind of crowd to come into our church. So we're going to turn the lights down low. We're going to have loud music in a band because that's cool for you, and you're going to feel good about that. That leaves a whole demographic out, but it depends on who you're targeting. Are you kidding me? We're the church of Christ. We preach it, teach it. He's going to bring in his flock as he will. Just saw a church the other day, man. Now, come, come on this day. You're going to get a free oil change. Free was in quotes. So I don't know what that means. How free is it? You buy the oil, we'll put it in. I don't know. But let's do that. Let's, you know, because why? Because now you're going to come up, and then we're going to give you a thing in our church. I don't know, man. That's kind of cheesy. That's not, that's not who we are. We're, you know, we, we have this going on, and we have these, that activity, and we have this group. Mm. Nothing inherently wrong, but we're kind of mirroring the world. We just put a Christian spin on it. We're having a contest between churches to see how many people we can attract and how big we can get. That's not the nature of the church. That's not what we're called to be, right? Happy all the time, joyful. Your best life now. Put a smile on your face. I mean, I don't want to be a downer here at all. I mean, there's great joy in the Lord, but wow. I have to say that this idea of mourning to me, and it's just me personally speaking right now, to me, this is one of the gravest errors of our time that we've fallen into over the past 50 years, the last half century. I think the church, we, we have, we lose or we've lost when we don't mourn. It's like we don't want to mourn. We don't want to walk around with these long faces. We don't want to be sorrowful all the time. We want to be happy and joyful. But when you lose this kind of mourning that the, that the Bible speaks of, you, we lose the weightiness. Do you understand that? We lose the weightiness of God. We lose the, the sense of the holiness of who God is and how righteous he is and how just he is and how powerful he is and the authority that he has and the majesty that belongs to him. In short, we lose the fear of the Lord, and the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, right? That, that's what we need to be, to fear him, to know him. Amazing God, loving God, just God, righteous God, majestic God, holy God. We lose that when we don't mourn our sin. When everything's just happy, we just put a happy face on. I want to come to church to feel good. Yeah, spiritually be, be strengthened. When we don't mourn, when these guys say, oh, we're tired of mourning, we're going on long faces, and we don't do that in a phony way, but, but when there's no mourning, we lose 
the depth of sin, too, and the seriousness of sin in our lives. Sin becomes like, oh, mistakes that we made. Oh, bad decisions that we, that we made in the past. And yeah, you know, I didn't do the right thing there. I could have done a better job. No, sin is sin. It's a transgression against holy God. We lose the depth of that. Things that we mourned over, things that we thought were so sad to see, so sinful to see, so shameful, even a few years ago, are now tacitly accepted even in the church or even celebrated in some churches. Think of LGBTQ, where we've come with that even within the church. We're used to mourn that and feel badly and see the sin that's going on. And now, oh, it's wonderful, isn't it? And everybody has a place and everybody's just fine. Right? We don't mourn. They didn't want to mourn over sin because that's not happy and that's not going to attract people to your church and that's not going to make us feel good. Jesus, listen, Jesus was a man of many sorrows and we should never be at ease in Zion. Are you at ease in Zion? Are you good? Are you totally comfortable here in this world? If you're a Christian, you should not be. Now, it doesn't mean, and I want you to hear me, it doesn't mean that we don't experience deep contentment. Obviously, we do. In Jesus Christ, we couldn't be more content in him. Amen? Praise God. It doesn't mean that we don't experience great joy and happiness in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? We do. We don't put on a false face of just looking somber in front of everybody. No, that's not, that's not it, it at all. And even as Christians, we, we have the enjoyment of things of this world. If we do that in moderation, amen, praise God. It's good to have nice things. There's nothing wrong with that or go on vacation. We're not saying anything like that. We're not, we're not, we're not, we're not we don't have to go to our monasteries and be like the monks or the, the pietists of old. I'm not saying that. But it does mean that when we live with a real awareness of our own sin, that we will mourn over it. That's why he says, blessed are those who mourn. And he means mourning over our sin because that leads to repentance and humility. Do you mourn over your sin, number one? And then number two, it means that we live in a world that is at enmity with God. Do you understand that? We are living, and we are the strangers and aliens in this world. You should feel like a little bit of an outcast. You shouldn't be too comfortable with around people that don't believe in Christ. Like, you know, that if you're totally comfortable, if it's totally cool, if it's wonderful there, then maybe there's something wrong in our walk because we're not of this world. We can't be fully happy in this world. There is a heaviness, man. There is a seriousness about our faith. How can we be okay? How can we be okay in a world where millions of babies have been murdered over the last 45 years? How can we be okay? You okay with that? Is that good? Oh, but there's other sides. It's good. Yeah, of course. But we're living in a world that's at enmity with God. How can we be okay and just so happy in a world where almost every sexual perversion known to mankind has been made into a virtue or is being made into a virtue. Watch out, pedophilia is next. Okay? Just a warning. How can we be happy? You, you, that, I'm joyful. Yay! Things are better. How can we be happy when the family is being destroyed, systematically destroyed? Well, God's covenant family, covenant marriage, the idea of family, an extended family, is just being obliterated in a world that we're living in today. How, you know, how can you not mourn over that? How can we not be sorrowful? How can we be happy in a godless 
world, a godless and a very, very dangerous world right now. We're living in a very dangerous world right now where our leaders have little or no, and I'm talking worldwide, not just in our country, but worldwide, where leaders have little or no regard for God whatsoever or at all. I know he has his people. I know he raises up. And there's hope in Jesus Christ. But right now we're living in a world where these godless leaders have little or no regard for you or the people that they serve. Happy? Again, I'm not, I'm not here to be a downer type person. I don't want that. By nature, I'm pretty optimistic. Well, <laughs> a little bit more of a pessimist, but you know. So this feels good to me. How could we be happy where so many professing Christians can't even articulate the gospel in a, comp- in a um, I was going to say, comprehensive way? How many even want to? Look, man, Jesus loves you. Try Jesus. You'll be all right. Just, just trust in him. He'll make everything all right. That's the kind of the extent of our gospel. Nothing about sin. Nothing about what we deserve. Nothing about the person and work of Christ. It can't rightly articulate the gospel or even begin to defend. How can we be happy when you can't even begin to defend the faith and what you believe? You can't explain basic teachings and doctrines that we hold to as Christians that are fundamental to the faith. What's justification? What's adoption? What's sanctification? We can't even tell people what that is. Let alone when they start to question our faith. How can you believe in a Bible that's been passed on, on and on and on and on and on and copied and copied and recopied and recopied until it doesn't make sense anymore? How are we going to answer that? Most of us don't even know or even care. That's the reality. How can we be happy? We'd be like joyful in that way. See, these are, we're tired of mourning. We're tired of going around and always being the bearers of bad news and always calling people to repentance and always having to bring the, you know, God's judgment forth. For all the happy, relevant mega churches, the stadiums that are filled with people, full, apparently millions and millions of Christians worshiping every Sunday. You see the pictures. You see the mega churches. Where's the impact in the world? Where's the salt and light? Look, there's something wrong. If there's, this, if there's that many true Christians who truly love the Lord Jesus Christ, who, who understand doctrine, who are on their knees praying, it shouldn't be the way that it is right now in the world, where there should be more of an impact from the church. We should be more salt and light in the world, and yet we're not because we're playing games. and We're playing footsie with the world instead of being faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, the church, for the most part, has become just another therapeutic alternative. You understand? I'm going to church. Might as well go listen to Oprah, Dr. Phil, because they have the little spirituality to, to them, especially Oprah in that way. Go, go to you know, one of the the fine mega churches that don't that don't care to preach the gospel they're just therapeutic go to, go to your favorite psychologist go go somewhere like that because that's all you're getting in in most churches you go there to feel good about yourself we come here to serve the lord jesus christ to learn about him to grow in him to understand him and then you will feel good and secure in the knowledge that he's your savior amen praise god that's good that's authentic but not just to feel good about me so i can live about me Go to the Christian book centers. There's no bookstores anymore, but even at Barnes and Noble, go to the Christian section and so many titles. How to feel good about yourself. How to have, you know, put a little bit of Jesus here, sprinkle a little bit of that there, and poof, you're fine. See, that's we, we've become that. That's not the, that's not the object of the goal or the nature of the church militant. Not at all. 
We need to recapture this. These guys are saying, we're going around mourning. Why, why are we even doing this? There's no profit in it. We need to recapture what it means to mourn, what it means to be sorrowful, because that sorrow will drive us to our knees. Do you understand? Here's the profit in it. When you understand what's happening, then you are going to be driven to your knees and find your dependence on the Lord Jesus Christ because it is so overwhelming. When you think about the darkness in this world, when you think about the spiritual battle, when you think about what's going on, where are you going to go? You're going to go right to your knees and pray to God right, for that power. You're going to be driven to the word. You're going to be driven here when you realize what we're living in and, where, and how things are. You're going to be deep into his word. You're going to understand what you believe. You're going to want to know it, and you're going to want to live it. And then you're going to want to bring that word, this word, to the world because that's what's going to change the world, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? Praise God. Yes. See, this is heavy stuff, but we're in heavy times. But it all begins with you, and it begins with us. As, as you determine, you must determine to serve the Lord with gladness. Amen? What can they do to us? I, I would rather serve the Lord. Joe's wife said, you forsake him. No, no, curse God and die. Shall we indeed accept only good from God and not adversity? And all this, Job did not sin with his lips. I'd rather serve him faithfully and endure what we need to endure, than to say, oh, forget about this, man. I'm done with that. I'm just going to go back to my old life and where I could do the things I want to do and pretend that things aren't happening that are really happening. Just going to do that. No. You need to determine to serve the Lord, to count the cost, and you need to be serious about your obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. You can't play games anymore with, oh, I'm going to selectively obey. I'm going to obey here where it's easy for me to obey, and I'm going to like encourage you to obey, but where I don't want to obey, well, then you know I'll kind of fudge it over just a little bit, and I know that God will understand. He gets me. You can't do that anymore. You have to obey. You have to die to yourself. You have to kill that sin. You have to say, Lord, this is your word. This is your commandment. And I love you more than I love my sin. And I'm going to serve you. And I'm going to seek obedience, no matter how hard that is. And then you need to be determined with great humility to repent of your sin and to pray for this world, to pray that the Lord would work mightily in this world to see the situation for what it is, and to be serious about it. Well, we can't come to church and just play games, have fun, go our own separate ways during the week, then come back again. You're here to be equipped to, to serve the Lord, to grow in Him, understand? So that you could be a faithful servant unto Him. And it doesn't always feel good in ourselves, but, but there is satisfaction in serving the Lord, no matter how difficult it gets when we're being faithful. It sounds like a paradox, but it's not. And so... That's why part of the reason why we come to, to uh, worship the Lord together. That we repent, that we pray for this world, and that we proclaim the gospel boldly. Game time is over. Fun time in, in that way is over. It doesn't mean we don't have joy in the Lord. It doesn't mean we can't enjoy things of this world that the Lord's given to us. But we know, we have eyes to see what's happening. And we need to be faithful to our calling in Christ that he may use us to bring that change, to bring that revival, to bring to that everlasting hope that's in Jesus Christ alone.